you doing? I'm really not good at introductions, but I was just wondering I could get you something. Maybe some tea, maybe a beat, cause I can tell you in the hip-hop by the way you speak. And I can see this thing growing into something so deep. And if it doesn't, then I guess it wasn't meant to be. Hello? Hey, Siraj. Hey, how's it going? Good. I have a tiny little intro, as I tend to do with yeah, these yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. And then we'll, we'll take it away. Awesome. We have today a very special guest whose name every hashtag Pooligan is, of course, intimately familiar with, lest they lose their Pooligan's credentials. One of the POTUS Press Pool's favorite guests, he nominally remains a video editor, but he's also been a guest host on Washington Meets the Beltway. He's guest hosted the McLaughlin Group, ladies and gentlemen, and we're going to ask him about that. He is, of course, Siraj Hashmi. You can follow him at Siraj A. Hashmi on Twitter. Siraj, welcome. Thank you for having me, Daniel. Very excited to have you here. And I know that a lot of listeners, the first thing they want to know is give us some of your background. How did Siraj come to be? Uh, wow, that's a, that's a loaded question. Um <laughs> <laughs> I guess to give you the too long did a read version, um, my dad is from Pakistan and my mom is from Connecticut. And um, they met while my dad is was doing a heart surgery residency uh, in Hartford, Connecticut, and my mom was a nursing uh, student. So um, they just happened to come to pass because, or they, they got connected because um, one of my mom's girlfriends at the time but, oh my God, Susan, you have to meet this guy. He's the worst disco dancer ever. <laughs> and so. What an and, intro. Yeah, no, it's a great intro. And so she, event, you know, she went and saw how, how he danced and that, you know, that was it. That was, that was the, the, the fairy tale ending right there. And so um, my mom, who's, uh, she was born and raised Catholic. Um, she, she kind of took a interest in Islam and then eventually converted and, married my dad and then uh, had had four kids uh i was third in line so naturally when you're the middle child you actually go into uh a field that actually garners you the most attention because your parents never pay attention to you mm, yeah middle child syndrome <laughs> yep 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 yeah. so uh that's kind of how that's kind of led me onto this path uh i guess towards journalism naturally even though i tried to go to medical school beforehand um, but yeah, and I think I made the, the pivot towards media in like, uh, late 2012, early 2013 and kind of just got started on my own. I, I went, to, I started working at, um, you know, some small media startups that never paid, um, one focused on high school sports in the DC metropolitan area. Um, you know, in Maryland, DC and Virginia, apparently there's a huge hotbed of like football and basketball recruiting mm. on the college level. And not to get like too into the weeds in sports, but like that was that was like the go to for me. Like I was very passionate about sports and covering sports. And then uh, I used whatever reel I got from that high school startup to then um, work at another startup that focused on millennials. And that's kind of how I got in touch with Julie initially um, was it, well, long story short, I wasn't at SiriusXM until maybe later in 2014. Um, and then I, I crossed paths with Julie Mason um, over at the at the press pool, and uh, we met at we met at CPAC in 2015, and um, we uh, she's kind of she's been a mentor of mine ever since, and uh, um, it, it, I, it's kind of interesting. I, I always look back on how you know, especially with like this college uh, bribery scandal that we're looking at, and people kind mm -hmm. of questioning whether going to college is worth it. And I went to college for um to go to medical school but i ended up not 
obviously going to medical school, I ended up going into journalism. But what's interesting is that every single step that I've gone along the way has helped me to kind of get to where I need to be. So like if I didn't go to medical school, I'm sorry, if I didn't go to college to get my bachelor's degree in biology, I wouldn't have gone to Georgetown University in D.C. Um, to try to go for my post-baccalaureate pre-medical program certificate to then apply to medical school, which wouldn't have led to me going to work for a sleep lab to try to stay in the D.C. area to be with my girlfriend, who is now my fiance. I'm getting, getting married later this year. Congratulations. Um, thank you, thank you. And, um, you know, from the sleep lab, I met, oh, I befriended one guy who worked in the billing department, and the guy in the billing department, he knew, you know, after long after we had stopped working together, he left and, and went back up to uh, Philadelphia, where he's originally from. But one of his friends actually worked at SiriusXM. And when he knew, when he remembered that I was trying to get into, you know, into media, he reached out to me and connected me with the guy who's currently at SiriusXM uh, by the name of Chris Cheon. Uh, he's doing sports now. And he just told me, that, hey, there is a 10th position open on the POTUS channel. Are you interested? And I was like, hell yeah, I'm interested. You know, sign me up. You know, even if it's temporary, I'll, you know, be able to build some, build a little network, maybe connect with a few people, and maybe they'll help me down the road. So what ended up happening was that 10th position, I filled in for the producer of the morning briefing, um, Jennifer McClellan, because she was getting surgery on her spine. So she's going to be out for like a, a good um, at least month and a half. And then the first day I walk into Sirius X and this is like October, 2014. Um, they fired the associate producer who was working that shift because, uh, she had like basically overslept for like the third time. And the boss was basically like, yeah, don't even bother coming in. We're just going to, move on <laughs> three three strikes and you've slept too much yeah at, and yep. so like i ended up taking her position uh once jennifer got back and ended up being there for two years after that so like yeah i built somehow built up enough uh uh credence at, at potus where i was doing all this all this stuff with uh the potus channel and you know obviously you know going on the press pool with julie mason mm -hmm. and at the same time like i was so i was working like five to nine in the morning at Sirius XM. And then I have to do my next job, the, the media startup that focused on millennials from 9.30 to 5.30. And then around this time, I was, and around this time, I was switching over to politics on the, on the millennial startup because there just wasn't a high demand for politics. I'm sorry, there wasn't a high demand for sports, especially in Washington, D.C. So, um, you know, they're ramping up to do coverage of the 2016 presidential election. So I was just getting on board with that. And I'd always been familiar with politics, so it wasn't like a hard switch for me. Mm -hmm. um but yeah like those next two years were very you know formative for me because um that's when i really started to see like a lot of my connections grow and then um of course like you know working those amount of hours did not have obviously had these drawbacks like i fell asleep at the wheel more times than i can remember Oof. uh well there was one time i actually fell asleep behind the wheel and had an accident and i was very early mm -hmm. on into um, my tenure at SiriusXM, I want to say it was like December uh, 2014. So I had only been with Sirius for about a month and a half before that happened. And um, yeah, it was really scary. Luckily, I didn't hurt myself. I only like uh, crashed into the median, um, just scraped the side of my car and um, popped the tire. And 
that was the worst of it. Like, didn't get any tickets from that, you know. And it was right outside the Pentagon, too. That was the scariest part. <laughs> <laughs> nice job. Yeah, yeah. So that so that was, you know, long, long story short of that. Um, and <laughs> basically from there, oh, man. So uh, by doing, like, the millennial startup, I got connected with another friend uh, who I've been interviewing with. Um, or I should say, um, I was interviewing him for like the conservative Trump supporting side of the presidential po- uh, politics. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of, he worked at Red Alert Politics. And so, um, th- this is Ryan Gerducci. Uh, he's still a good friend of mine today. And, uh, he, uh, he actually hooked me up with a job and he actually, um, that's how I got involved with the examiner because Red Alert Politics was a subsidiary of media DC, then they got absorbed by the examiner. So now I'm currently at the examiner where you'll see me. I'm fresh full and I'm fortunate enough to get on uh, some of these cable news shows like CNN and Fox news. So yeah, that's, that's the long story of it or the shortest story of I can tell. <laughs> that, that is an excellent, excellent origin story. I mean, and anybody will be proud of that origin story. That is amazing. Oh, thank you. Uh, how how now, but now I have based on that origin story, I have a few questions. For instance, sure. how is your disco dancing? <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you, I'm a better dancer than my dad. But I'm, not, okay. I'm not nearly as witty as him. If you follow him on Twitter, he's at Fayaz Hashmi fourteen. So F A Y Y A Z Hashmi H A S H M I fourteen, and he's quite a Twitter troll. He's quite a Twitter. Well, you have an amazing, I mean, we're now getting way ahead, but you have an amazing Twitter game. Your your Twitter game, when I first started to follow you, was still, I don't know, a, a little bit more subdued. But then it so it, it totally broke out. <laughs> and now yeah, you're like, like, now you're Mr. Viral Man all over the place. It's, it's, it's weird because like I... I don't really think of myself as like having that good Twitter game. I just think of, you know, posting what I think and I'm just trying to do it in a way that's not too inappropriate because I can say things that are just so off the wall crazy. But there's so many times where I was just like, am I going to get in trouble for this? And if I, if I have to question myself, I don't tweet it. So like, let's think about like how, how savage I could possibly be. And what you're seeing right now is still a somewhat subdued version. So wow. I appreciate, I appreciate it. But yeah, like if, if the only reason I still have a job is because I, I'm remaining subdued. <laughs> <laughs> what was that deal that you got into with three uh, blonde ladies and a banjo who, or ukulele who like to, <laughs> who like to, th- who like to extol the virtues of president Trump? Uh, so the deplorable choir—they're—they're—they're they're, they're an adorable trio of uh-huh. uh, women who are so pro MAGA, and you know, like it's—you—you—you you, you listen to their music, you've seen their videos, right? Yep, yep, I have. So, so the thing that got me fascinated by it, and I think it had to do with their—they had a one video in which they were kind of like uh, they were. They basically sang about Facebook censorship of conservatives. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. And the way they started off the song in the video was just so hilarious to me. Like it, it literally like they're, they're like getting all, they're vibing to the, the banjo or to the, the guitar. And <laughs> the resp- like every, one time I tweeted it and everybody in my replies was just like, 
why would you share something like this? And I got just so like, I, I just couldn't stop laughing because everybody hated it so much. So I, I just immediately latched on to because everybody hates this so much, I'm only going to tweet it more. So, uh -huh. But your so, dad is the Twitter troll, right? Yeah. Mm, got it. <laughs> I got it from him. Of course. <laughs> so, yeah, no, it's, it's been fun. Uh, kind of trolling them a bit because uh, I mean they opened for Trump at a Texas rally before the 2018 midterm election they sang the national anthem and that just like gives them more legitimacy and while they're obviously like a complete you know they I mean like I don't know how how they're doing it and thinking like doing it with a, a straight face like mm -hmm. I don't it's like it's kind of like with Jacob Wall like they they don't realize that people are like laughing at them, not with them. Yeah, they and, they make their numbers on on Twitter yeah, and, no, and mean, on the YouTube. That, so what do they care? If they're right? getting that money, you know, yeah. all power to them. You know, you gotta. It's everybody fills a particular niche. It's just you know, it's it's it doesn't. It just nothing matters anymore, and it's just everything that's happened in the Trump era has just been so hilariously dumb. And I would not trade that for anything. Like, we would never get this in a Hillary Clinton presidency. We would just all be bored. Saturday Night Live would be about nothing. Well, I mean, Twitter I'm would sure not exist. Still make fun of people on the right, but like, it wouldn't be like some of the stuff that Trump does. You just can't write like the the, the this real life is. Of course, life imitates art, but like. Art cannot replicate this, mm -mm. what's going on right now. It's just, I will look back on this forever, how long I live, and just absolutely relish every moment <laughs> of the Trump presidency. Siraj is having a grand time. <laughs> yeah, and like people are like legitimately pissed that I'm having such a fun time in the Trump presidency because, yeah, sure, like if you want to look at like actual policy, sure, it's not great. I mean, it certainly wasn't as bad as Bush, 43. Like, that was, like, legitimately bad, in which I was kind of pissed off all the time. But, you know, I was also, like, a teenager and going through college, and, mm -hmm. you know, I didn't really have much of a, uh, a say in the political game because I couldn't vote until 2008. But, yeah, like, now it's just, it's just everything is so dumb, and I just cannot get enough of it. Yeah, I think a lot of people feel that way. They may they may still be able to, I don't know, summon some personal outrage for for certain moments. But it seems like a lot of people are just genuinely, if you if you drill all the way down, are just genuinely addicted to the day by day news that is just current face or constant face palming. Oh, 100 percent. And, and uh, I would say that, you know, people have started to get desensitized to kind of how stupid things have gotten. I mean, I've at least like tuned out most of Trump's tweets mm -hmm. um, or whenever, even though I still have like the Twitter notifications of uh, every time he does it, but like, you know, there's some people like the Krasenstein bro. Oh no. Or, like, when, uh, yeah. Like so a lot of like the people who have, object to like everything that twi that that trump does like they're always going to be responding to it and like that's how they get their following built up that's how they make you know whatever money they're trying to make or the name recognition it's just it's it, it it's a grip it's all a grip 
everybody's just trying to make money and they're just finding new ways to do it, whether it's on the left or on the right. And, you know, I would liken like the Krasenstein bros who think they're genuinely uh, rebuking Trump to grifters, but I'd also, I'd, I'd liken them to like Jacob Wall on the right, who's obviously right. a legitimate grifter and uh, can't stop scamming people. Um, but like it, from people I've talked to have actually met him and spoken with him, like he thinks what he's doing is like real. So it's like, how do you really know if a person uh, is fully self-aware about what's going on? I, I just, I, I don't think most of these people know what others think about them or, or they just don't care. Well, I think Krasenstein's had a pretty, had a pretty colorful background, I think, in order to use a euphemism uh, prior to their recent gig. But I, I have to say on a personal level, I, I blocked all the Krasenstein's brothers and I That's mute I, and I mute the retweets of anybody who retweets them because I just can't. <laughs> it's tough. Man. It's tough to deal with them. I had to unfollow them just because I can, I, I think in the last uh, couple of weeks, I just started going through a little Twitter cleanse and just like, <laughs> how do I, how do, how do I make this site more tolerable for me? Uh-huh. Uh, and, and I just, you know, I just started unfollowing people that I don't, you know, I have a very low tolerance now for unfollowing people. If they post one dumb tweet, I'm like unfollow. Damn, it's um, that. Fa- oh, okay, Pooligans, careful. This this can be a very a very swift game these days. Yeah, yeah. So like, if it's something that I don't think will help me with with uh, covering the political scene, you know, if it's if they get way too personal, like I'm not about it. You know, just yeah. you know, go on, go on, go do that on Facebook, do that on Instagram, like Twitter. I'm thinking about every way that I can focus on uh, the current politics of our of our day. Actually, before we get to the social media stuff, which I really would like to talk to you about, because you have that millennially, even a, a professional millennial uh, opinion. Um, what is, if we go back for a second, what was it like growing up uh, being Muslim in America, in, in Connecticut at the time, at the time when you grew up? I had the experience of growing up Jewish in Switzerland, which was a tiny little community uh, uh, surrounded by people who were uh, fairly anti-Semitic, uh, depending oh, on wow. depending on uh, the the time of day, and not much of that has actually changed. So I'm curious, what was it like to grow up being Muslim in uh, in Connecticut? Well, it's interesting. So I've always kind of felt out of place, uh, no matter where I've gone, because of my um, my dual background. So mm-hmm. as I said before, my dad's from Pakistan, mom's from Connecticut. Um, I was born and raised Muslim, and um, there's always been sort of a part of me that's been foreign, no matter where I've lived. So I've lived in Pakistan uh, for six years, and I've lived in Connecticut for about, I want to say, 11 to 12 years. Um, and I wasn't really, like, subject to much discrimination, to be honest with you. I think um, I think in, in Connecticut... I got more sympathy and probably questions about um, my Muslim background and Pakistani background um, mm-hmm. from my peers in school, uh, specifically after the 9/11 terrorist attacks. And uh, um, of course, I've had friends, I've had people that make jokes that might, you know, if if they went back and reflected on it, they probably would think it was in bad taste. Like I have, I have a very thick skin. And I got that from living in Pakistan because I was bullied so much. So, like, 
in, in really Pakistan, say, you were yeah, bullied so more like, than in the U.S. Really, hundred percent, yeah. Hmm. And I think it has to do with, I mean, how I look. Um, I'm just obviously like I don't. I mean, I don't speak Urdu, so like there's hmm. a part of me that will never really fit in. And um, I think I was just so proudly American that it was tough for some of them to um, kind of accept me. But I think once they I think once they broke me in terms of like just, you know, fully, fully seeing how far they pushed me, I think a lot of them started to realize that they, a lot of my peers realized they kind of went, they, they, they went too far. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just like, it wasn't just ribbing. It was just like, they were, you know, really getting to me. And so, um, that's kind of how I built that, you know, but like the lessons I learned in Pakistan by being bullied, have obviously, in my in my view, helped me more than it's hurt me because, you know, being in the media game and having to deal with, you know, trolls online and people who don't like what I say, like, I don't take anything personally anymore. Um, unless there, there are very few times that I think people actually get at me uh, for personal things. And when it comes to that, like, I don't really, I mean, like, there's a block button for a reason. So... But all in all, like, I'm not at all – I find myself to be more personable now than I was when I was a teenager. And um, I just figured out ways to try to connect with people a little bit better. It doesn't make me look like a giant asshole. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I probably – you know, you know, I, I, I won't say that I was to blame for my own bullying, but I definitely didn't have a way of – speaking to people and I had to kind of learn how to do that in my formative years much like anybody else so yeah I think I think if I had uh, approached it slightly differently sure I may have been accepted more quickly or sooner than I was by the people I went to school with in Pakistan but you know a lot of them I'm still friends with today and a lot of them see what I'm doing they're really proud of me I'm you know it's actually kind of in some ways there's some sweet revenge to it because you know, success is the ultimate revenge, right? I mean, if... I know that's what Donald Trump would love to think. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean seriously. I mean the the one the one way I think people kind of they they don't look down on you if they see you doing you know if you're moving and shaking. And so I've I've never really took. I, I mean, like obviously it hasn't been my motivation, but it's just kind of like a nice like byproduct of getting into media and doing some of the stuff that I've been doing. Um, and while I don't feel like I deserve any of it, it is kind of nice to be recognized by some of the people that I've in my past and, and, and they've reached out to me saying how proud they are of me. And that's, mm-hmm. I mean, if, if anybody else, if this, if anybody else listens to this podcast, who's trying to get into media, um, like just, just focus on yourself. Don't like have to worry about what people are saying about you. Um, because you know, if you worry about what everybody says about you, then you're not going to, you're going to be too scared to do anything. So just do it, do what you feel, do what you think is right. Do what you do. What feels right. Yeah. I think that's, that's really solid and, and very important advice for anybody. And it's a, it is a tough industry. I mean, I knew it more from, from filmmaking, but it's a it's a similar type of gig where the networking and what other people may or may not consider you for 
on the one hand makes a difference on your career, but on the other hand, you also cannot let rejection get you at all because there's just so much of it. Yeah. And uh, what what type of filmmaking did you do? Uh, I made well. I went to USC film. I came here for USC film school, so I went to to USC to film school. Then uh, we made a horror movie coming straight out of uh, pretty much straight out of college. Oh wow! And then did documentaries and and just kept screenwriting. And then I started writing comic books and and now I do podcasts. <laughs> that's awesome. I, I that's so funny because I um you know the the. USC is kind of like in the crosshairs of this uh, college uh, yep. scandal. That's kind of wild. Yeah, I, one of my colleagues over at the examiner, uh, Tiana Lois, she also went to USC, so she's like going through the motions still. <laughs> no, it's it, you know what? It's it was really bizarre seeing that yesterday and today. Yeah, no, that's the thing is I, and I think you probably know this. I don't think you know, college isn't for everyone, right. so it's no, I, you know, some people. Some of the most successful people are college dropouts or didn't go to college. So you know the video that you put up on on Twitter, I think, or that you retweeted, said pretty much everything. Where she says, "Well, I, I don't. You guys know I don't really care about school, but I'm really looking forward to being in a to going to like Greek parties." Yeah, I think that was uh, what's it called? Um, that was Olivia, right? That, that, yeah, Olivia Jade, I think her name. Yeah, is. yeah, I think it was Olivia Jade. That was painful. But you know what? She has, I don't know how many millions of followers on YouTube and on Instagram, which brings us back to the social media part. Does she really need college? I guess ultimately is the problem. Yeah. <laughs> did, she really, did she really need a half million dollar investment? I, I read a breakdown of the amount of contracts that she already has. My God. And it's, it's just, it's absurd. I mean, and like... Of all the people that need the help, you know, the, the children of celebrities exactly. really, are, I mean, like, are they the ones that deserve it the most? I mean, think of all the, uh, all the kids in like broken, urban, suburban, yeah. rural neighborhoods who, you know, you can't even like fathom the idea of going to college because it's just so financially impossible for them. So they end up, you know, working in the family business or they end up, you know, getting a couple of jobs or are working two jobs at once or they have to start a family and you know so it's it's just the amount of elitism that you see mm -hmm. in our society it really it just irks me so much because a lot of the people who are kind of preaching you know some of these liberal progressive values mm -hmm. in hollywood are the ones who are kind of benefiting the most by gaming the system i thought about that when it happened and then i sort of sat down i i was sure and it is actually today so fox news that is currently their top story is everything about that scandal yeah what i'm curious about is it it cuts pretty much both ways i mean i think uh, that that's not particularly a liberal activity i think that happens on the conservative side just as much does it not 100 percent. yeah no i i would definitely not put a conservative's uh and liberals, you know, like on uneven plans, I'm, I'm sure both of them have figured out ways to gain the system. Yeah. I mean, that, and I think it's more of a, you know, committing crimes is a bipartisan thing. It's not it's <laughs> restricted to, to one side or the other. I mean, just look at Paul Manafort. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. He, he had a, he had a, they had a little surprise in stock for him today. Yeah. yeah no, that was kind of wild. So, you know, it's just, uh, I, I, I would probably say that, when it comes to politics, it's just so much easier to just remember that everybody is a hypocrite, um, and that's the reason why it's easier to cover. Because if you like 
start thinking one side is better than the other, then you're just going to drive yourself insane. What is it like these days to write for a more conservative publication? What's interesting about writing for the Examiner is that they give me sort of the editorial discretion to say what's on my mind and not mm -hmm. go, you know, they won't let me publish things that are, you know, pure, purely based on fantasy or there, there's no like facts to back it up. Um, I'm, I've been blessed with a couple of really good editors and Tim Carney, David Perdoso, Jason Russell. Um, and they kind of steered me on the path of like, you know, we have actually a bulletin board material on, um, right above our, uh, right above our like, uh, long desk and which says the truth matters even now more than ever. So hmm. it kind it kind of keeps us grounded. And remembering that even though, and, and this was posted right up after the 2016 presidential election when Trump, Trump won, like, I think a good chunk of our writers on the commentary desk actually really don't like Trump, but they understand that there are certain things that he says that are truthful and certain things he says that aren't. And we try to call balls and strikes as we see them. And when he's in the wrong, we say it. And when he's doing something right, we say it. And, um, I've always tried to, I've uh, sort of, I'm on this weird, um, I, I would argue that I'm probably the, the token liberal of the office. Um, <laughs> even though like, I like to dunk on everybody. I dunk on Trump. I dunk on the Democrats. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's it, people probably would call me a conservative more now than a liberal just because I write for the examiner. Um, but I don't think really much has changed in my view. I think what's changed more is how I think left um, the Democrats have gone. I mean, there, there's this kind of, there's been this large, large progressive push um, from, you know, Bernie Sanders, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, a number of those folks uh, who are trying to get the Democratic Party to embrace some of these more leftward socialist leaning ideas and, they've kind of doubled down on this, uh, this uh, concept of identity politics. And, you know, sometimes I've just, seen, I've just caught, you know, a lot of democratic operatives and democratic politicians have been blatant lies. And it's, e it's been easy for me to call out Republicans because I've been doing it for so long, even before I got into journalism, but it was even, I think it was in the last like few years, it had been more of an eye opening experience for me to, realize that, hey, the Democrats aren't that much better than the Republicans. So, like, it's... <laughs> if at all, yeah. If at all, exactly. Yeah. Like, they're basically two sides of the same coin, and all they're really doing on both sides is fighting for power because that's really all that matters. That's the only thing... Um, that's the only currency that matters in Washington is power. And it's sad to say that. And while as much as I, I've been living in D.C. for almost 10 years now, um, and I really like this town, but I understand that there's like that seedy underbelly of Washington in which everybody's just trying to undercut one another. And basically it's like crabs in the barrel, crabs in the bucket, you know, mm -hmm. just trying to get to the top. And, um, it's, you know, the examiner, I, I appreciate the, the mentorship and guidance I've gotten there. And I understand that there have been a few takes that I've written in the past that may, I may not agree with right now, um, or I may have gotten wrong, 
And I'm certainly ready to own up to it if, you know, should, should those ever come to light. But I don't think there's anything I've written that I would not be proud of um, today. I mean, I think I've tried to call things how I've seen it at the time. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I hope, like with anybody, um, I'm ready to acknowledge that if I, if I got something wrong, I'm willing to admit that I got it wrong. Well, that is a, an exceedingly rare I think quality in Washington these days, but it's it's admirable. I I think your I, I think your uh, image of the crabs in a bucket is a is an incredibly apt one. I spoke to Tim Miller last week, and we were talking about Lindsey Graham and how mm. everybody's wondering how did Lindsey Graham suddenly turn into Lindsey Graham? And I think Lindsey Graham himself <laughs> gave the most pertinent answer when he said, "It's really just about being in the room." That's it's it's not about was I friends with John McCain. It's not about do I love Trump. It's about where does the power lie and what does gets me reelected and what keeps me in the shuffle. Hundred percent, and, and uh, I would agree with that. That sentiment from Senator Graham. You know, it's it's sometimes you have to schmooze with the people that you hate at once. It's never, and, and I think I think Tim Farley over at SiriusXM uh, said this once that kind of stuck with me. That there's no such thing as uh, you know permanent friends or permanent enemies just permanent interests and so it's uh always been about trying to advance their agenda and if it means creating new enemies or create you know turning enemies into friends or friends into enemies um, then that's what they'll have to do do you think that that is widely understood by by the readership or, or by the Americans at large and do you not think at all not at all, right? I, I think no, there no, there is a complete. I know that the press pool and Julie frequently brings this up. The number one: do not fall in love with politicians because they will always disappoint you. Hundred um, percent. Because exactly because of what you just said. But it, do you also feel that that the general population sort of lacks that particular insight? Yeah, it, I mean, just look at what we've seen in the last uh, ten years with uh, the election of Obama and then Trump. I mean, it's complete idol worship. And I admit, I probably fell for uh, Obama, too. I thought he was, you know, um, not the Messiah, but I definitely thought he was a rock star. And I really, really liked him. I still like him. I think it's been hard for me to try to get over the fact that he wasn't that great of a president. And, um, I mean, I admit, I, I, I voted for him twice. I even voted for Hillary in 2016. And uh, that's – I, I, I kind of go into it with, like, a, a decision – um, specifically now, who and when I'm going into the voting booth, who do I, who can I have a, whoever, who do I have a harder time defending versus who do I have an easier time attacking? And so with Hillary uh, in 2016, I thought, can I defend Trump if I'm writing for a conservative publication? Um, and I was like, no, I don't know. I'd like, I just can't see it. So and I was like, do I have an easier time going after Hillary or writing for a conservative publication? I was like, absolutely. Boom, voted. And I was in a swing state, too. I was in Virginia. So um, so that wasn't that difficult for me. Of course, I don't like Hillary Clinton. But, like, in a swing state, you know, in a very highly contested election, um, of course, I thought she was going to win. Um, so... But I, I wasn't willing to just throw my hat into the Trump camp and say, like, 
oh yeah, I support this guy for this reason. Like, I don't really support him. So, <laughs> but yeah, th- but like, I mean, there's the there's been the cult of personality with Trump. There's been the cult of personality with Obama, even Bush, Clinton, uh, Bill Clinton. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's gotten worse. Um, the more access that people, the average voter has had to media and to news outlets and to, you know, as much information as they can get because, you know, media portrayals of certain politicians really stick. And, you know, we've seen that with Trump. We've seen that with Obama. We've seen that with, um, we've seen that with Hillary. I mean, there's been, I mean, you probably know better than anyone that the mainstream media seems to lean more to the left than they do to the right. So kind of conservative outlets are kind of left out in the cold and looked looked down upon, really, as uh, not having as much credibility. And so when they when, you know, certain stories get covered the way they do um, and other stories that. Uh, don't make it, you know, it's easy to tell who's focusing on what and you kind of can make your assumption based on where that uh, readership or that audience or, or even the the producers or management feel about a particular subject. They feel that one has more, more importance than the other um, based on, you know, how they feel personally about the subject. And that can certainly be the case. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that for every particular outlet but that's certainly impacting some outlets maybe media did get more more left-leaning but then that of course had the effect of of shooing everybody who who wanted those conservative values into the arms of outlets that also needed to fill 24 hours yeah and, and that's the thing you, right you probably you definitely bring me to my next point which is that more of these cable news programs uh MSNBC, CNN, Fox mm-hmm. News, like they drive viewership by outrage. And whether that outrage Absolutely. is genuine is, you know, uh, that's another aspect to it. Because I will go and watch Fo- the Fox News primetime lineup just to see what the hell they're saying. Mm-hmm. And like every night, Sean Hannity is blowing his top off over something that happened <laughs> like two years ago. Because and he's still on this uh, FISA warrant that was uh, that the FBI approved mm-hmm. or the FISA court approved to allow the U.S. government to spy on mm-hmm. the Trump campaign. Like he is still so pissed off by that. Yeah, that we're doing uranium one. We're doing yeah, uh, uranium yeah. one. And so it's just like all these things. He just like keeps all the receipts of everything that's ever happened to uh, that hurts Trump and. You know, it's the type of red meat stuff that, you know, he has to deliver every night because he's got to make that money. He's got to bring in that ad revenue. And it's uh, it's it's just a kind of a microcosm for how all cable news has gotten because, you know, some, you know, like Don Lemon and, and Chris Cuomo um, and, you know, Chris Hayes and Rachel Maddow, they've kind of made it their shtick to, you know, go so hard on the anti-Trump lean that, you know, they almost all sound the same. So that's, and and it's kind of like, say like if you're looking at how the, the ratings are, are stacked up against each other, like Fox always wins the ratings battle because 
the left-leaning audiences are split between CNN and MSNBC. So there's never going to be a number one unless, like, viewership is way down at Fox, which has happened a couple of times over the last uh, couple of years, specifically with Rachel Maddow and Sean Hannity. And uh, that's just been... Where to always focus on ratings because, you know, just because you have a lot of people watching you doesn't mean that what you're saying is like good or accurate or truthful. Brett Baer made a, I think, a very cogent point about how people have a hard time discerning the, the hard news from, you know, the Hannity's. And that hurts the hard news side over at Fox. Today, I quickly went on the Fox News homepage and it was reporting on college scandal. And then the yeah. next thing was a piece by Tucker Carlson about uh, George Soros and why he's trying to rob you <laughs> off of your right to listen to what you want to listen to. And I understand they do have genuinely great journalists over at Fox News, but yeah. I think that type of thing does not make it easier. And it doesn't make it easier on the other side. I don't even watch MSNBC or CNN in anymore. I just watch Colbert. That's the, basically the same thing, except that it's shorter and funnier. <laughs> Yeah, I mean you're right, and I, I mean I don't watch the late night program simply because like they're they're not as good as they used to be. But yeah, <laughs> people just don't have the ability anymore to discern what what's news, what's straight news, objective reporting versus what is commentary. Mm -hmm. And you know, Brett Bear is like one of the fun. You know, I I think he's one of the best journalists at Fox News. Yeah, um, and he does little to no editorializing. Where I'd say, you know. Chris Wallace, who is a straight news guy, he probably editorializes more than he likes to admit on mm -hmm. Fox News Sunday. Um, and he's more of a left-leaning guy, or at least he appears to be a more left-leaning guy because he's kind of, he's pushing a lot of these uh, Trump administration officials um, in ways that many liberals would think, oh, this guy's kind of on our side. So that would be the only thing. Gets yeah. into it with Shep every now and then, but yeah. Oh yeah, and it's Shepard Smith. Yeah, like Shepard doesn't, he doesn't hide his, where he stands and stuff mm -hmm. and and it's actually kind of funny because he's gotten like judge angie napolitana who has been kind of a lifelong <laughs> republican to sort yep. of like go along with the stick the whole thing is fascinating and i think as we sort of slowly glide into 2020 what where do you think that this circus is going <laughs> i i know that at right right now 2020 predictions are like a, a really road parlor game but Oh, absolutely. Uh, but I'm I'm just curious where if if you had to put I don't know, at one red chip on where this is going, which candidate do you think will will prevail, and and what will we be looking at or talking about a year from now? Man, this is a tough question because, I mean, there is the idea that if Joe Biden gets into the race, he's basically going to wipe clean of every other liberal or moderate that's in the race because he just. He's just such a big personality. Do you think he will? That's, I mean, that's the thing. It's like he's really good on paper. He has all this experience. But mm -hmm. when it comes, when the rubber meets the road, like, will he handle it in a way that uh, Democratic voters, you know, specifically in the Iowa caucus, and Iowa caucus is huge, obviously. The Iowa caucus is the reason why Barack Obama became president. And if he, if, if Obama did not win Iowa, he would not win South Carolina because um, Hillary was actually getting a majority of the black vote in South Carolina in 2008 in the primary. Mm -hmm. um, and then as soon as he won Iowa, you know, a lot of black voters in South Carolina realized 
that he was the real deal. And they, and they, uh, he won South Carolina, even though Hillary won New Hampshire. So it's, it's this, but of course, like Trump lost Iowa and then won New Hampshire. But I think Cruz in Iowa, who won the Iowa caucus, just had a better ground game, but he just didn't have the rest of it set up. Or he, he just sort of, he just didn't have the right personality. Biden at least has the right personality. And I think if he actually wins the Iowa caucus, which he's probably going to, uh, you know, I think he'll probably seal up the nomination pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. But again, like, there's, you know, it's all about fundraising. Um, and Bernie Sanders seems to have a leg up in that department because young people just fucking love him so much. And it may not have anything to do with his policies, but he's got that, he's got the, you know, the cult of personality already. You know, there's Bernie bros. Bernie bros exist for a reason. So it's the idea that, you know, he was so anti-establishment against Hillary Clinton in the 2016 election that a vote for Bernie was a vote against the current Democratic establishment. And that include, like, included like a rebuke of Obama's policies, mm-hmm. even if they were a fan of Obama. Um, but yet to get more into it, it's just that if you want that again with Bernie, it's a different story in 2020 because most of Bernie's ideas have sort of seeped into the mainstream of the Democratic Party platform. You know, this idea of Medicare for all, you know, free college tuition, the Green New Deal. You're having a lot of establishment candidates or establishment Democrats, I should say, who are now signing on to these ideas and thinking, yeah, this is a good idea. Let's do this. And now all of a sudden you're taking some of the wind out of uh, Bernie's sails a bit. And it's starting to look like he is the less Pat Buchanan. I, I've said this a number of times that, you know, his ideas are making it to the mainstream, even if he is not. And that's, you know, that's the case with Pat Buchanan on the right. You know, Trump's ideas right now are Pat Buchanan's ideas. Uh, this idea of building the wall, you know, the reducing uh, legal and illegal immigration, you know, the idea of uh, implementing tariffs to try to renegotiate a lot of these uh, trade deficits uh, or, or basically balance these trade deficits that we have with countries like China. Um, and so it's just, uh, it, it is the interest, you know, there's no one perfect candidate in this race, but I will say um, people in middle America will overwhelmingly support Biden over Bernie, which is what Democrats truly need, because in the Rust Belt states, you saw Hillary got absolutely slaughtered in states like Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. And that's where all the uh, the pressure is going to lie in 2020, because if, if Donald Trump loses even one of those states, in 2020, so assuming that he gets Ohio, assuming that he gets North Carolina and Florida, uh, he's done. He needs he needs to get at least one of those states. And then if you look at the 2018 midterm election, the Republicans got hammered in those states in, in Pennsylvania, Michigan yep. and Wisconsin. So, like, uh, there is very little room for error for Trump. And that's why I've said so many times that, like, him building the wall is absolutely consequential for him to win re-election because he's fracturing his base left and right by not getting this thing built. And those people who voted for him in 2016 aren't going to be there to support him in 2018 and in 2020. You know, even if there's, 
even if they don't vote for a Democrat, just by not showing up to the polls to vote for somebody, that's going to hurt them. I think the way that the, the Dems can look at it is the following. Hillary won the popular vote by 3 million. She missed uh, by the electoral by really not that much of a margin. And that margin should technically, you should technically be able to make up with, more. first of all, more motivated voters that don't think that Hillary is going to win anyway. Second of all, with voters who just had a wall that they did not want put poss uh, possibly on the southern border. And yeah, you're home no, free, you know? That's a valid point. Absolutely. I mean, I think uh, one of the biggest liabilities the Democratic Party had was running Hillary in 2016 mm -hmm. because so many people hate her. Uh, and it's more of like a bipartisan thing. If she – and there's another added factor to that. If, if pollsters did not heavily favor Hillary to win the election mm -hmm. um, ahead of the election um, – you would have seen more turnout for her and she probably would have won in the states that she needed to mm -hmm. um, in those Rust Belt states. And we'd probably be talking about President Hillary Clinton and we would be talking about uh, President Trump. Right. Um, because people wake up every day. Like she's such a strongly, she's so, she, her, her name evokes so many strong emotions in people um, and a lot of people have very negative emotions that you have to uh, you r really ha would, ha would have had to run somebody completely different in order to win the 2016 election. Like, it's just, I think I think people aren't wrong when they say Bernie would have won in 2016 mm. because he doesn't have as big of a name recognition as Hillary, but he certainly doesn't have as much negative name recognition as Hillary. Looking forward, do you think, and I had this discussion now a few times as well, so I'm, I'm really curious, uh, what do you think? Do you think once Trump is gone, what is the GOP going to do? Will there be rubber banding? Will the GOP snap back to what it understood itself to be before Trump came along? Or have the Trump years already been so consequential and that base so ingrained that whoever comes next is going to have to appeal to those voters and kiss the Trump ring even when he's out of office? Look, there is not a single person who could replicate what Trump did in 2016. Like, it, if you look at the uh, look at how the odds are stacked up against him, mm -hmm. uh, what he did was incredible. It was nothing short of incredible, and it's going to take um, it's going to take a while for if Democrats regain control of the presidency and possibly the Senate, it'll take several years for that for them to reverse course on that. Because remember. Um, conservatives now have a solid majority in the Supreme Court. Now, mm -hmm. with respect to Republican, the Republican Party kind of shifting back towards um, this idea of what they were before, that's a little tough to say because I, I would probably wager yes because they were never really fully on board with Trump to begin with. And sort of they are all playing this game of – being supportive of President Trump um, on mostly everything policy related because it helps sustain their power. It helps them win elections. Mm -hmm. And while they lost the House in 2018, um, it's they kept you know they kept the Senate uh, because the numbers were in their favor. Mm -hmm. um, there were like 24. Uh, Democrats running for re-election in 2018 in the Senate and only 10 Republicans running for re-election. So 
it kind of makes sense that Republicans would actually expand the majority in the Senate as opposed to losing the Senate. Right. Um, despite the Kavanaugh saga and despite a number of things that Mitch McConnell has done that makes uh, liberals and Democrats absolutely cringe. So in some ways, you know, the power balance has always been the establishment versus this nationalist populist wing of uh, Trumpism that doesn't have I would wager that Trump is basically the first and the last one. Well, he's probably not the first, but um, <laughs> he will be the last of that that we will see in a while. I mean, Mike Pence does not have the same views as Donald Trump. I mean, it's, if Trump was impeached tomorrow, you know, Mike Pence would come in and he'd sort of he would kind of establish this sort of normalcy that we see in the presidency, in which like he's not tweeting at you know, three in the morning or like, you know, 11 <laughs> p.m. at night. <laughs> and he's not, and he's not like, you know, frankly shitting on people online. And so people will think of like, oh, this is what a president's supposed to be like. And then Democrats would absolutely hate it because he will be infinitely more popular among Republicans, even if he's not popular among Trump's base. Um, he certainly will get some of them over, but he, he will get a lot of members of Congress to be supportive of him than Trump would, because the, at the very least, Mike Pence is, you know keeps his mouth shut. He just does the job, and he doesn't throw people under the bus like uh, Trump does, at least publicly. We don't know about what he's done privately, but <laughs> on the public on the public face, like you know, Pence does not throw people under the bus like Trump does, and that's that's going to be that's like the key difference. Because I think a lot of Republicans act sort of out of fear that. Trump is going to throw them under the bus because he is not afraid to do that. We've seen it so many times. Yeah, no, he it, Pence is very good at playing the invisible man to Donald Trump's monster from the Black Lagoon. 100%. Now, I think we have enough of politics for a second, so I, I need to ask the other, the, the lifestyle questions, Siraj. Um, sure. You're an excellent arbiter of what's cool and what's current. and. And uh, so that is what we're going to bring to the Pooligans right now because they, frankly, they need it. Okay. Uh, what currently is is cool and hip in in music? Would you say what is what gets you excited? Uh, so I'm a big hip hop aficionado, mm -hmm. and um, you know, I listen. I, lately, I've been listening to a lot of stuff that I grew up on, and that's '90s rap. And um, that's that's the OG. That's where it's at. That's the that's the OG stuff. So like uh, recently, I've been spending a lot of uh, Razkaz. His his first album was Soul on Ice, and this guy's just like, you know, part of my friends. This guy's like the wokest motherfucker I've ever listened to because mm -hmm. he's like he's talking about stuff in '96 that people today still are kind of grasping. The social justice warriors like haven't fully grasped how woke they can get like this guy is like he's like so far ahead of his time and um while i i i wouldn't say i agree with all of his views but on like things like race uh relations like this guy he's he definitely hits on some key points and while some of the things are you know maybe for lack of a better term might might be rooted in conspiracy theory mm -hmm. um like the music itself is just phenomenal. Like if you, you know, the old school boom bap beats, like that just really speaks to me um, and how they sample, uh, you know, other people's music. And, and that's, that's something I like to do is I like to make beats on the side and I don't really oh. tell many people this, uh, but yeah, I've, I've 
I actually produced for one of my friends, like rap groups up in Philly. Um, and they turned it into a music video. So I was pretty happy with that. It turned into a song and a music video. Oh, where, where, where is that at, Siraj? Uh, so this uh, group is called Hard Work, Hard Work Movement. Mm-hmm. And the song that I produced for them is called The Flow Yo. Okay. The Flow Yo. We're going to post it. When I, when I post this, I'm going to post that along with it. That yeah, is, they, that have, is very they cool. have a link. There's a video on YouTube. It's Hard Work Movement. And the song's called The Flow Yo. And I made the beat for that. And I was really proud of it. And I sampled I. I don't like to tell too many people where what I sampled, but I sampled the um, a video game uh, soundtrack from the um, the Rockstar game L.A. Noir. No way! Tried... You sampled an L.A. Noir track. Fun. Yeah. yeah. So I I did that, and I was like, I I was really happy with how it turned out. Oh man, L.A. Noir, such a good game too. Yeah, you know, I think the soundtrack was better than the game, to be honest with you. But... I lo- well, I, it it harkened back to my to my adventure gaming of the of the eighties. That was before your time. There were adventure games, and I really enjoyed them. So this was, L.A. Noir was kind of a throwback. A lot, a lot yeah. Of, yeah, yeah. So I I definitely am not shy to sample video game music. Um, I actually think it's cool when people do it because mm-hmm. it's uh, it's just so unique. Um, but yeah, you know, I when it comes to like things that are cool, I. I only see, I only try to figure out what the new people what what like the teens are talking about based on um, what I see on Instagram or what I see on uh, Barstool Sports sometimes because you know they it's usually like the college students that are kind of driving a lot of the viral stuff that's going on right now. Mm-hmm. I mean I don't know where this idea of like throwing cheese on your baby's oh, face came from. I just saw that the other day. They've, they've been doing it to dogs now, too. <laughs> like, it's just, it, for one, it's a waste of food, but, like, it's secondly, like... <laughs> that is what disturbs you about that trend. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, people are starving in Africa and South Asia, all over the world. People you, are starving in South America and Central uh, America. You, you will, you, America. Do you know how many, little, how many kids are going go to go to, to their shrink or, or advisor at some point in the next 10 years and be like, man, I don't know why, but every time I see cheese, I'm just... Holy shit, I fucking hate cheese so much. And I don't know why I fucking hate it, but I do every time I see it. Oh, yeah, no. It's, it's one of the things that's kind of gotten me away from talking about pop culture all the time is that politics sort of has been driving culture. Mm-hmm. And in the sense that, like, it's, it's now the reverse. It's, you know, culture has been driving politics for years. It's now, it's now apparently, that the other way around. You know, Trump yeah. is like this. He's this cultural icon and, you know, everything lives and dies with him. And, you know, you're having squabbles over with people and you find out who the good guy is and the bad guy is based on who they voted in the 2016 presidential election. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> I mean, sure. just look at what I, I mean, like. And that's a. I think this is like something that happened the other night between a Utah Jazz fan and an Oklahoma City Thunder uh, point guard, Russell Westbrook. I mean, I think the fan was in the wrong, but then he got and he tried to play the victim after like basically he said something to Westbrook like "Get on your knees" like you're used to, which Oof. is completely over the line, oh, by the way. Oh, and he deserved that ban. Um, 
But then, you know, in a Westbrook return fire thing, like, I'll fuck you up. I'll fuck you and your wife up along those lines. Damn. And Westbrook gets fined, like, $25,000 for that comment. But he is just res- he's responding to something that he was provoked by. And the fan then gets banned from all Utah Jazz games for life, which, to be fair, he absolutely deserved. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's interesting about it is the fan tried to play the victim afterwards in a televised interview. And then people drudged up his old tweets and found out he was a supporter of Donald Trump. And so that like tipped off people immediately to know that this person was in the wrong. And sure, that may, he may have, uh, people may have been right about him, but then look at what happened to Jesse Smollett a month ago. Like everybody thought that his account was, indisputable if you question his story at all you are a racist a bigot you're a homophobe like what have you and it wasn't until like people actually did a bunch of digging that they were like holy shit we all got got we all got duped by smollett and can i can i without 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 trying to like pat my own back can i say that i did not trust that story for me it was the small detail of the police arriving and him still having that rope around the rope his neck. around his neck. 100%. I was like, you know what? That it, that just it just doesn't. Nothing felt right about that story from the get go, yeah. and I agree with you. And and it's just one of those things where like people jumped onto it immediately. True. Uh, a lot of celebrities did. A lot of news anchors did, and you know, TV personalities. And it just drove me nuts because people were so sure that this had happened to him. Uh, and didn't question him at all. And I think the immediate response would be like, all right, we hear you, but just to make sure that you're, you know, this absolutely happened, we need to go through all this shit before we like give you our sympathy. So I understand why people were probably sympath- uh, sympathetic to begin with, but like we've been duped by this so many times. I just don't understand how people haven't learned it. Learn, learn their lesson from the past because there have been a number of hate crime hoaxes that have happened mm-hmm. under the Trump presidency. There have been a number of legit hate crimes that have happened under the, under the Trump presidency. Mm-hmm. But when those legitimate hate crimes happen, we at least have seen like video evidence of it happening. We've like seen like eyewitnesses attest to it actually happening. Like it's usually a very black and white sort of thing that being like, yes, this absolutely happened within like an hour of just looking into the evidence as opposed to like weeks. So yeah, that's smaller case, man. That, that I was just so missed by that. I actually was very subdued about that whole thing because I didn't want to jump the gun and say that the story was wrong and then have it completely backfire. I had a bizarre exchange with, with John Ziegler who writes for, for media eight about, about that story because he went on Dan Abrams show that's on before uh, Julie's show. Mm-hmm and told uh, Dan that he, he feels he he knows from being online that most reported hate crimes are a hoax. I, I wouldn't doubt that for a second. I mean, uh, well, I, I, I would um, because <laughs> John pointed me to the article that he got that information from. And it was an article by a website that is not credited to anyone with huh. reporting not credited to anyone listing a bunch of articles from the Daily Caller about times about times when this has happened and i mean no no discredit necessarily to everybody at the daily caller but but it seemed to me a a strange source 
that is then reinforced by by things like like that uh, like that particular case, which I find incredibly unfortunate because I, I do think that hate crimes, like you said, have happened and do happen. Yeah, and yeah, I, I wasn't trying. I think I want to clarify before. I think I wouldn't doubt it uh, about the hate crime hoax statistics. Um, probably, like if someone told me to told me that mm-hmm. to my face, mm-hmm. I probably would not. I probably would not try to doubt it immediately. But then, like on you know thinking about it, laying it swirl in my head, I'd probably be like. Yeah, I think that guy's full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was that was kind of my process with Mr. Ziegler, I'm afraid. And uh but but his response was that that he uh he followed me and so now we follow each other and, and well, I guess good. keep each other in check and he, he posted something else about how he maybe maybe that wasn't put the most the most delicate way, the way that he had put it. And, yeah. But but I agree with you. I think there's there's part of of Insta- of the Instagramming and the Twittering and the Snapchatting and the the, the need to fill all of those different avenues and, and and have have a story pop up that everybody can agree on or disagree on that just drives these cycles at an insane speed. Oh yeah, no, I mean like you know I often think to myself, Daniel, that if people weren't so stupid, I wouldn't have a job. <laughs> That's actually a beautiful way of looking at it, uh, Sirot. Yeah, I really like, enjoy that. I am, it's true. I'm solely employed because people are dumb. And by people's <laughs> stupidity, I get to call them out on it. And by virtue, <laughs> people look to me as some sort of arbiter of truth because people are stupid. And and actually, people some, some people have actually like mentioned to me that they appreciate how much I dunk on people because they're so stupid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like it, it might be low hanging fruit to call people out on, on their stupidity, but like, I, I mean, like, I don't think I, I obviously don't think if I'm not the person to do it, then no one else will. No, there are tons of people that call this stuff out, mm-hmm. and I, I, I just you know I pick a I pick a lane and I just stick to it, and so my lane has been like just dunking on a bunch of these, you know, numb nut conservatives who think they know everything, they're getting you know have a ton of influence. And they're trying to reshape and mold the conservative movement to this sort of like I this this point where like all of all they have to do is like legit quote unquote own the libs and all of a sudden they're you know in a place of like good moral standing. Like, no, that's that's, that's not that's not, <laughs> not how, not it, how works. it works, gentlemen. So, nope. <laughs> so yeah, so it's just like they they tried on the left too though the the no the, they did the Krasenstein donking is similar I guess yeah I mean I don't have, have to dunk on the Krasensteins because like they do it you know there are, there are people that I do that as well and that's not really my lane and I honestly like I get joy out of dunking on some of these people and then, like the Krasensteins I just don't get any joy out of it. <laughs> they're I feel they're, very they're joyless there's a very Marie Kondo ish like vibe I get. When I I dunk on someone like a Jacob Wall or a Charlie Kirk because I think like does this spark joy? And if the answer is yes, I will fucking do it. Oh man, Charlie Kirk, there there's an they they definitely have some interesting personalities on that side. Except Jacob Wall, unfortunately, lately has been mostly dunking on himself for some reason. I know, and that's why it's so funny. Like you know, how can you be that dumb? I don't that that latest story with him reporting some sort of hate crime to the FBI is, <laughs> I, 
I just and having I, it come from his fake Twitter account. I he misspelled the name, like his own name oh of the supposed God. account in the. It, I mean, it's just it's so absurd. But yeah, I mean they they are excellent for dunking, and I think that is what social. By the way, speaking of social media, is there anything beyond Instagram and and Facebook and Twitter that to you? seems like it's been making any sort of inroad because it, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of quote-unquote new in the social media game lately yeah i mean like i'll check into reddit every now and then just yeah. to see what the other you know the dark side of the web is talking about um you know let me, let me check right now because yeah those are really that's i mean snapchat's trying to do this thing where they're like bringing news in but like it's just not like where? Yeah. Yeah, it's just not like user friendly. I don't I don't like it. And um you know that that's that's really yeah. I mean I think I even hate using Facebook nowadays. Facebook is intolerable. Yeah, completely. But they're now going to reinvent themse- themselves, Siaraj. They're now going to be privacy-focused with short things that are going to disappear after a while and it's going to be a whole new world and aren't they nice? <laughs> it's amazing. I mean, pretty much every single uh, website is trying to mold into some sort of Snapchat esque mm-hmm. uh, application because uh, for some reason people don't want to see things for too long or nothing wants to be permanent. Nobody wants anything to be permanently online because think of how often, you know, people's bad tweets come back up to haunt them, like James Gunn last year. And, whoops. You know, yeah, or like Tucker Carlson with his statement to that Radio Shock Jock this week. It's just, uh, <laughs> Baba. Yeah, yeah when like, you're talking to Baba the Love Sponge, take a li- take like a clue from what happened to Hulk Hogan. Just don't. Yeah, like I hope that in, if if my comments on this podcast resurface in ten years, I will say something that I know is not controversial. So like, if I, I mean, that's the thing is we don't know what's controversial in ten years. That's the thing. <laughs> Well, what's I I don't even know what's going to be controversial like we just we're talking about next year. Like what is well, exactly. what is even happening? Get, that's why you got to that's why some people need to actually use their, their their brain and think about what they're saying and a lot of people just don't. Yeah, right. I mean, but that's why, you know, I I make I do the due diligence of deleting old tweets. I mean, I just oh, like you do? go through. Yeah, I'm not going to I don't want to risk my future based on what I've written in the past. That could be misconstrued today or be taken out of context. You're weeding your, you're weeding your front lawn. Yeah. That is okay. Well, but you're, you you know about the Wayback Machine and such. So none of that. Yeah, I know Wayback Machine exists, but I mean, you know, people who are truly Twitter savvy would understand. But yeah. I, again, haven't written, I don't think I've written anything that's highly controversial. I think I've probably been a little savage at times, but like if there's uh, an issue with, you know, writing something that was misogynistic or mm-hmm. racist, like you won't find it on my timeline because I never yeah. wrote it. I joined Twitter in uh, 2013 when I was like 25. So like, you'll never find anything that I've written during my high school or college years in which people mostly don't use their brains and <laughs> hold you and basically try to be the most uh, provocative or, um, you know, try to get the most attention by saying something that was, you know, way out of line. Were you also smart enough to not keep any any decorative calendars that you filled out with your? <laughs> because those yeah, apparently but... also can come back to haunt you. We learned. Uh, uh, well, you know, 
well, it, it haunted Kavanaugh to the point of getting confirmed to the Supreme Court. So yeah. I don't know if that's the haunting was <laughs> relative. Yeah. I mean, of course, his reputation has been tarnished, but <laughs> <You know>. um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's all relative, really. I, I, I don't. I mean, I don't keep calendars from when I was in high school because that was stupid. <laughs> I'm organized. I'm not that organized. Um, Speaking of controversial, so on our other Pooligans podcasts, when we talk to other Pooligans, not to reporters, Mm -hmm. we do what we call Adam's Pet Segment, which is named after uh, Adam Reisner, who's a Pooligan, who started this. And we always ask, do people have pets? And Siraj, do you have any pets? And do you have any feelings about what some, Julie, some, refer to as basic dogs? Um, So I have... uh pets with my fiance and Ernie who is a long-haired chihuahua mm-hmm. and Gracie who is a poodle and um do you mean like basic dogs like basic bitches uh n- no uh Julie refers to basic dogs as uh, golden retrievers and anything that is not innovative in its dogness like basically <laughs> it's not an Australian cattle dog it's a rather disappointing golden retriever as, you know, many other millions of golden retrievers that are just painfully well-behaved and essentially boring. Oh, oh okay. So, um, you know, that's, that's tough because it's always subjective. I would obviously argue that both dogs are not basic dogs, but they uh, drive me insane with their incessant barking. But <laughs> I love them both dearly. Um even though um, Ernie is like way too chunky to like even climb stairs. Mm. And then uh, Gracie is just like the super athletic one who just completely dominates Ernie in all things athletic wise. And um, does Ernie at least have to coddle edge? He does. Yeah. He's, mm, he's exceptionally, he's, sex, he's exceptionally a good cuddle dog. And uh, um, I would probably say that. Gracie and Ernie, they get along much better than they used to. Gracie used to attack Ernie mm. uh, a couple of years back, and then we finally had to give her give her training. And uh, <laughs> she's, she's 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 a little bit behaved now, but you know, no dog is perfect. No, no, no dog is perfect. Okay, so that that was a vote against the idea of basic dogs. I. I... As a as a owner of a golden retriever who was at the uh, receiving end of that particular remark, I particularly appreciate that. I will just <laughs> e- extend your non basic dog feels to uh, to our golden retriever, <laughs> who, who is who is genuinely sweet. And when we when we post pictures, actually, then Julie's like, "Oh, who's a good boy?" And I'm like, "Uh huh, oh, yeah, uh huh." And she's like, "No, still basic, still basic." So, so when it really comes down to it. Uh, Julie is just a little... She, she gets all soft. Which leads me to our Pooligan Madruff wanted to know, do you have a favorite Julie story or moment that you would be able to share uh, on this uh. program? <laughs> <laughs> um, he asked okay. carefully. I, I do, I do. And it has to do with the first time we, we met um, because uh, apparently Julie was quite taken with me um, when we first met and her producer, Patrick Faris had to be like down Julie, like, no, you're not, he's, he has a girlfriend. And so, uh, Patrick had to break that down. Yeah, no, but it's been kind of like a funny, a fun running 
fun running gag we've had between the two of us because um, we've gotten many comments on uh, over the radio and over social media uh, asking if we were dating, and the answer is obviously no. But like Julie has like this this thing where I'm grandfathered into her her like her, her basically I am of a certain standing in which I can do no wrong. And if I should ever become available, she is going to pounce on me like a hawk. <laughs> well, that is, a, but that is an excellent standing to be in. So, <laughs> yeah. So I love Julie. She's great. Um, and, you know, I hope to be friends with her for many, many more years, but I also want to stay married and I'm getting married later this year. So <laughs> I'm sorry to break Julie's heart. But we can never be. <laughs> well, there went that. But there, we, you'll always have Paris, as they say. That's um, true. Yeah. No, that, that's, that's wonderful. So unless you came up with something that you haven't talked about that I missed in our conversation that you want our listeners to definitely hear. No, you know, actually, the, the, I, I think I seeped in the beat making stuff right when I wanted to because the, that's the one thing I've actually been working on lately. I'm working on like a 10-track beat tape. That I hope to hey. eventually put up. I hope to eventually put it up on my SoundCloud page, and then I could be, you know, every time I have a viral tweet, I'd be like, "Hey, since you're here, go check out my SoundCloud page," and I'll actually have something on my SoundCloud page that will be legitimate and something I made. That is fantastic. No, you can be like, "Do you like this viral tweet? You like it even <laughs> better when you listen when you read it again and listen to this." Yeah, yeah. So the goal, the goal on that end is to obviously. Uh, make a few beats and shop them to a few of these bigger name rappers. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think, I don't think obviously me being a journalist will help in that regard, but you know, having, having a little, having the blue check mark on Twitter certainly helps. It definitely does. When you make these, how do you, how do you make your beats and how do you even go about taking that out? So um, there is a mixer sampler, uh, device they use called uh, native instruments machine mm -hmm. and uh you can you can find these online um basically uh, my girlfriend at the at the time my fiance now she got me this back in like 2012 um for a christmas gift and it's basically something you hook into a usb to your your laptop your desktop mm -hmm. and you know you you can you know find samples of every single thing you can find samples of you know a drum kick a drum snare a hi-hat like things that could help you start at least the foundation of a beat but then when you start actually listening to other music and you hear a particular part of a song that is maybe a little bit more isolated like say of an instrument of like a a piano riff or a guitar string or uh something along those lines uh, you know you're able to you know basically find that song, bring it into this program and basically chop it up to the point where you only, you, you push a button and it plays only that sound and you're able to lace it into a track. And it's just like, it's, it, to me, it's therapeutic. It's just like the, the, the actual act of it. I don't care. I don't know what I'm going to get into in terms of when I start making a, a beat, I have no idea what the finished product is going to sound like. I just sort of start playing with it. Mm -hmm. And that's just, it's honestly the most fun thing I've been doing that's actually productive as opposed to just playing video games like Red Dead Redemption 2, which is, by the way, an amazing video game I'm still mm -hmm. working on. 
but so now you have these beats and then then what do you do with these how do you take them out these fun beats yeah so like after i make something you know i'll, I'll extend it to like a two to three minute track mm-hmm. um and it could it could either be you know repetition where there's like a you know a, a a verse goes here and then the chorus goes here and then you repeat the the verse part and then you repeat the chorus part and then you kind of finish it off mm-hmm. uh, with something like that um, and then I'll just I'll send it to a few friends of mine who rap, or send it to a few friends who just appreciate uh, appreciate rap, and they like be like, "Yo, you should like put this in there, or you should send it to this person." Like, you know who this? You know who would sound really good on this? Like X person, X mm-hmm. this particular rapper or this particular artist. And so it's it's kind of fun in that way. And um, yeah, I mean, getting to the video game part, like I. I love video games, but I just don't have enough time in the day to play them as much as I used to. Where do you play? Are you a console gamer or are you a PC gamer? I'm a I'm a console gamer. I can't do PC. It's it's I used to do PC only in Pakistan, and um, that was like the heyday of PC gaming for me because you could literally get a PC game, a bootleg one, mm-hmm. in Pakistan for like literally like two or three bucks. Mm-hmm. and just go go ham with it just go absolutely wild on your pc and um you couldn't do that for console games so if i was in pakistan um i'd have to get like a bunch of games before going but you know I'd, I'd come back to connecticut in the summers and sometimes in the winter mm-hmm. and i'd have to like stock up on games um <laughs> for consoles <laughs> while i was in the in the u.s before going back to Pakistan because I knew I couldn't get any new games for like the next four to six months. Did you have any particular favorites, favorites? Like games oh, that man. really so stuck with is, you? So this is like, so we're looking like 95, 2001. Yes, that was a good oh, time man. for gaming, man. That was a great time for gaming. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking here, you know, there are a couple of games that me and my buddies always used to play. GoldenEye was one of them. Oh, on so good. N64, yeah. Um, Mario 64 is another, uh, yeah, incredible. Um, uh, uh, what, what's the, um, Mario Kart, mm-hmm. obviously I, I had a PlayStation, uh, my buddy, one of my closest friends, um, in Pakistan, um, or two of my friends, they had M64. So we kind of like split time at each other's places playing all these different games. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we got really heavy into wrestling, like WWE wrestling. Oh, the, the, and, the, the, the games or the. Are both you talking about watching the- both watching and the games like once we got into the games it was, it was you know it, it was next level it was just so much fun um we tried to do all the multiplayer gaming and, and on one console like that was really like the heyday of like one console multiplayer because now everybody's doing it online true sure it's fun but like there's nothing like getting a a group of uh, a group of people in a room mm-hmm. and and you know doing a four-way split screen oh, four-way split golden eye was so good yeah i miss those days but oh. uh gotta gotta learn to move on i guess ah well it, uh, maybe they'll come back but so no apex champions no overwatch like like no, Jenna, like jenna and i, I discussed before um i don't play any of that I I do the single player. Yeah. yeah, I'm lame now. It's not fun. I mean, I like the single player modes because I just you know some online can get a little addicting and stressful, and it kind of depends on other people's schedules. And like my schedule isn't yeah. always um, favorable to you know when other people are trying to do like 
when uh, I'm around my fiance, like I'm not gaming most of the time. Like unless she's <laughs> unless she's like busy working, like oh. I am like there with her, like present in the moment. Uh-huh. Um, and so it's that's an excellent I, fiance. I, you know, yes. Yeah, so I mean, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have made it this far if I didn't do that. <laughs> is she? She's not a gamer then, huh? No, no gaming. No, either. you know, I try to get her into it early because. Um, so we actually studied abroad together in England in uh-huh. 2007, 2008, when we were uh, in college. And that's where we originally met. Um, so we've been together for over a decade. Wow! We met at like eight. We met. We met at 18. I'm 31 now, and I popped sure. a question literally, um, like. Oh man, it was the 13th, so almost three months ago. This is a very patient young lady. Yeah, well, you know, she wasn't exactly ready either, so. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. Well, okay. We were both, We, I think when we did it, when we decided to finally do it, we were both ready. And um, uh, it's one of those things where I try to get her into, involved in video games early um, with like Halo multiplayer, <laughs> with like Soul. <laughs> With like Halo, Soul huh? Cal- uh-huh. with, with Soul Caliber, with Wow, um, you, you chose the- you chose all of the nice titles, <laughs> you know, with uh, oh. what's it called, Mario Kart as well, but like okay. on the game, on and then there was one game, and she's a big, she's big on soccer, loves soccer, played it as a kid, played it in, in high school. Um, she and I really loved one game that was on a GameCube called Super Mario Strikers. Uh-huh. And it's their it's the Mario rendition of soccer and it is so good and I can't understand why they haven't like replicated that or made newer versions of it because it's literally just endless amounts of shit talking while playing soccer. It's basically like <laughs> It's like Mario and, Tennis or 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 Super yeah, Mario or, or yeah. the Brawl, right? So, yeah. And it's just so much fun and I just like and her favorite game of all time is Donkey Kong uh Donkey Kong Country. Yes, on that the is original an, Super Mario. An excellent choice. An and I tried choice. to like get her back into it, but like she just moved on to the point where she's just like, you know, I'm just focused on like my job, and then like Oof. sleep. Oof. Yeah, you know that when the nostalgia fails, then you're in trouble. Yeah, so maybe one day. I mean, I'm I'm looking for. Yeah, as soon as I get as soon as I get married and things get settled and like we actually start like you know, having, building a life together, maybe I could get her to settle down a little bit and take up video games because, you know, once you start having kids, man, you know, there's going to be a lot of downtime for her. And that's when at least one of my friends started playing uh, the Nintendo Switch while she was busy, obviously, nursing her her daughter. (laughs) And she ended up, she ended up like jacking the Nintendo Switch from her husband and be like, this is mine now. It's Zelda time. Zelda time, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's an excellent plan. So once the nesting starts, you might have a window of opportunity. Yeah, once that happens, done, man. <laughs> going, off and going ham. Okay. I, I think, my friend, we've taken enough of your valuable time. Well, I appreciate it, Daniel. It's been an hour and a half, but it's been really, really fun. Thank you so much for doing this. I know everybody will be super excited to hear all of this, and we wish you and your fiancé all the best, and also some future gaming absolutely thank you maybe i'll get maybe if i get some time i'll start a twitch channel 
Ooh, you, are you going to start? Are you going to turn into a streamer? That will be that will be incredible. That I mean, that's that's been on the horizon. For some, I've thought about it a couple of times, but I don't think I'm in the quite in the position yet to do that. I I tried it for a while. I had a I have a Twitch channel, and it you know I my problem more so was that all of that gaming or a lot of that gaming is PC based. And so it's all, you know, it's like right now it's Apex Champions and Overwatch and 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 PUBG and and all of those games, the battle mm-hmm. royales. And and I fucking suck. I'm so <laughs> bad. And it turns out that no matter how fun I think Twitch is in general, unless you're you're a ninja and you're literally putting down people left and right, or you do like nostalgia based gaming. Yeah. Like you, I'm I'm sure if if you did a. A, a Mario Strike. If you did a, a, a that channel with GameCube, people would be like, "Oh, fantastic! Let's do this." Handsome yeah. guy playing nostalgia gaming. Like that is exactly what we're looking for. So, well, I just gotta dig through some boxes, man. Maybe I'll find a Nintendo Switch somewhere. Yeah, I'm yeah. sorry, Nintendo GameCube. Wow, I'm getting all of them. There. Yeah, stuff. well, the, the game GameCube GameCube was amazing. GameCube and Wii, I think, were amazing. I have a Switch, and it's still standing here in the corner, and I don't use it. Oh um, man, that's sorry. I know. I, I I really want to play that Zelda game, but but I just don't have the, I just don't have the time. Anyway, yeah. um, we I, I we're looking forward to everything: the beats, the Twitch channel, the appearances on Fox News occasionally. Occasionally, more, more CNN, but yeah, yeah. I I with the, the most recent one was Fox News, right? I saw like when was yeah, it yesterday? My, yeah, I was on Fox News on Monday. How, by the way, we didn't talk about the McLaughlin group. What was what was that like? Yeah, you know, it's kind of weird. I mean, and I was only guest hosting. I guest hosted two episodes, one in September of 2018 and the other in November of 2018. And um, uh, the second time, obviously, felt a little bit more natural. The first time, I was, I, I was pretty petrified a little bit. Well, that, that's, that's a lot, man. Have, have, you ever done any, have you ever done anything like that before? Never hosted a TV show, only uh, hosted radio, radio, as you probably know, through mm-hmm. Sirius XM. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that was kind of the experience I was going off of. But, I mean, it went well. And, and I, I mean, obviously, I appreciate Tom Rogan, who's the current host of the show, uh, for giving me the opportunity to do it. He also helped me get on the very first time when John McLaughlin was alive back in March of 2016. So over, wow, three years ago. So... Yeah, that was my first time ever going on TV uh, in that manner. And um, yeah, hosting it is hosting it was fun. You know, you kind of just let people do the talking for you, and you kind of you know when you find a window to like hop in and, and at a particular point, you do so. But mm-hmm. by and large, you kind of just let the conversation breathe a bit, and and that's kind of how I went into doing it. And um, yeah, great experience and, and definitely uh, uh, worthwhile. And I hope uh, they're they're currently in talks about doing um, you know something more syndicated. So they have been on hiatus as of recent, but um, I'm sure they'll be back later on this year. And so we may see you back there. But yeah, if you can do the McLaughlin Group, you for sure can manage a Twitch channel. I mean, that is <laughs> un- undoubtedly. So we look forward to that. Siraj, thank you so much for your time. Really, really appreciate it. Of course, Daniel. Thanks for, uh, for having me on. All right. Have a great one. You too. And Take we'll talk care. to you soon. Bye. So where we at? Here we go, though. Hip-hop to the truest. Watch me flow, though. Yeah. The flow, though. Because if you really want to know, no, it's the flow. If they really want to know, no, it's the flow. If they really want to know, no, it's the flow. If they really want to know, no, it's the flow. If they really want to know, no, it's the flow.
It's the flow, yo. It's all good. We did it for the flow, yo.